Welcome, everybody. Everybody to the greatest podcast in the world. Whiskey. Well, yeah, it's Whiskey Wednesday is the segment. But welcome to Persuasion School, what's arguably the most useful podcast in the world. My name is Jake Savage. I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Alexa. Hello. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm also doing all right. It's been pretty Better crazy, than that. I'm doing great. Week. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Just a little hectic. Yeah. A little hectic. Yeah. So, hey, if this is your first time here, grateful to have you. Quick background on me. You can read the bio, of course, on whatever platform you're listening to. But I'm a former door-to-door salesman, knocked on about 100,000 doors over the course of several years, then transitioned into launching a sales startup with a handful of other amazing people. My job there was to build and train a team of elite sales people around the nation. So I was a president there for the last three years. And then now through this podcast, teach the masses how to be more persuasive, become a more effective communicator, and get more of the things that you want in life. Things like deals, dates even, man. Get people to go on dates with you. Mm-hmm. Deals, dates. Car. Get a new car. Get that donation. Get a raise. Yeah. Navigate the job interview. Get buy-in on your ideas. Ooh, we should do a job interview one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. So we can look into that. Anyways, uh, if you're looking to become a more persuasive person, you're in the right spot. Wednesdays, though, we've got something special. It's called Whiskey Wednesday. It's a more informal segment where Alexa and I try a new whiskey. We try something new every week. We love getting those little tiny bottles and uh, discovering new worlds through whiskey. Mm -hmm. So what do we got today? Well, let let me just first say before we get there. Whiskey Wednesday, we, we, and the reason why we even do this in the first place, we had listeners asking to get to know a little bit more about me and Tens my life. Of thousands of people. Yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got some crazy stories and my life is pretty dang fun, I would say. I work hard to make it fun. Both of us do together. Yeah. 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 And so people were asking to hear some of those stories. So on Wednesday, we dive into them. I don't have anything prepared. Alexa does, though. So she has something in mind that she asks me about. Then we dive into it. So that's Whiskey Wednesday. On Monday, we have Monday Q&A, where listeners actually chime in with a question that I answer. So this past Monday, we talked about how to be persuasive without feeling having somebody else feel like you're trying to convince them of something. Then before then, it was talking about how to find a mentor and some of my mentors personally. And we've answered other questions too, like how to ask for raises in the middle of the pandemic. So that's that's a helpful resource too, Monday Q&A. Then Thursday is where we dive deep into persuasive communication, either through an interview or I'll prepare something from psychology, neuroscience, or those years in corporate sales. So it's a lot of fun. So if you're, this is gonna be an informal segment today. If you're looking for something that is, where we're not drinking whiskey, you can pop over to any episode that doesn't start with Whiskey Wednesday. I'm always drinking All right. Whiskey. So Alexa is going to kick us off with the whiskey that we have for today. And then yes. she's going to bring up the topic. Yes. Yeah. So we're in Myrtle Beach. Oh. Can we say that? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Very lovely. <laughs> Just beachy, sunny. Ugh. It's been great. It's been a great week. Yeah, you're we're funny. recording offsite. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally sitting on the beach right now. Okay, taking it a little too far. We're not on the beach Do you right hear now. The waves? We're recording at a a prior date, 
so that we can have a little time off together as a family. Yes. We're not at the beach right now, people. Okay, now I look like an idiot. So. <laughs> well, you're the one that decided to lie. We're at to the, the beach. <laughs> it's evergreen. Evergreen recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. What all do right. we got? Today? So today we've got Glenfiddich, single malt scout, which how many Scottish years? I think there are a few different whiskey. types of that. Been aged twelve years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. Want to kick so, us off? Oh yeah, let's kick us off. So this, this is, is Scotch. Be peaty, huh? Where in Scotland is it from? Is that a Highland? Um, Glenfiddich. I'm glad you asked, Jake. Glenfiddich. It is. I don't know how you say that. Valley of the Deek. Oh yeah. Of course. Product of Scotland. Good old Valley of the Deke. Uh, man, I can't read that. That's so tiny. Dufftown, Bamfordshire. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know why I asked. Last up for that. Okay. Only heard of. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) She's not a whiskey lover. I am. So that's why we do this. That's just really intense for this time of day. It's literally 11 a.m. (laughs) Hmm. Oh my gosh! You haven't had that before. I don't think. I think it's been a while. That's delicious. So good. Got that peaty, yeah, peatiness to it. Okay, Lex is about to yak, so we'll call it good. Glad we got to try it though. That is good. They're not sponsoring this, although they should. So cool. Yeah. Yep. One day. All right. What's the topic for today? Okay. So I thought we could kind of segue into what we talked a little bit about last week. So we were talking about Turkey and your trip. And then you mentioned the friends that you made, the people that you made a friendship with at the bazaar. <laughs> Jake doesn't like noise and I'm tapping my fingers on the table. He's <laughs> very distraught. You mentioned the friendships that you made at the bazaar. Mm-hmm. You took a lot of those principles from those guys and use that into your t-shirt business with your cousin Mm -hmm. and how you guys would act at like trade shows and street fairs and those kinds of things so i was wondering if you could go into the t-shirt world i don't know if that would be multiple episodes because i feel like that was a big process for you guys yeah but if you could at least talk about what the trade shows looked like and how you guys acted different than other vendors Mm. Mm yeah all right, fun, fun topic here. Huge lesson learned for me when it comes to business and entrepreneurship was running this first screen printing operation. Not going to call it a company. We'll call it a screen printing operation. And then our own personal brand. So it was a lot of things happened around that same sort of turkey time. I think it was after I got back from there, maybe 2013. Yeah, it must have been 2013. So my cousin and I, had a clothing brand that ultimately was in, I think, close to 70 stores throughout California, Colorado, and a few like scattered around the rest of the U.S. And we were two like 21-year-olds trying to figure this out. No you know, venture capital or investment from anybody, just kind of winging it as we went along. But at its height, it did make $100,000 one year, which is pretty dang cool. Although that was mostly Connor. I had departed by that point. So got to give Connor all the credit for that. But um, it was it was a fun experience and life lesson for sure. So that was called Savage Apparel. So how it started <clears throat> was I, Alexa and I volunteered at this organization called Young Life that works with high school and middle school kids. 
and we needed some t-shirts. And I remember hearing it, but the budget was limited because <laughs> we were in this small town in Colorado. And so there were not a ton of uh, donors to help fund this project. So I remember the people that ran the organization saying, like, we've got to get new shirts for everybody, but they're pretty expensive. We're not sure if we can afford it this year. And so I just started thinking, well, what if I figured out a way to make, you know, these T-shirts? I, I hear people talk about screen printing. I'm sure I could figure that out. So what I did was I went and bought a blank shirt from Walmart. Then I went nearby to the Home Depot by this Walmart and bought an actual window screen with duct tape and then spray paint. So I take this blank T-shirt, a window screen, spray paint, and duct tape back to the house. And I essentially make my first screen printed T-shirt. I did not know that screen was like a silk screen or anything about silk screening or screen printing. Literally a freaking window screen. That's how dumb I was. You just heard the term screen printing. <laughs> yeah. So I think what what other screen are most of us familiar with other than a window screen? That's literally what I bought. Wait, so yeah, walk me through what that yeah, what did that look like? So, so I don't I it was just so dumb. But whatever. People hey, people But how did you use the screen? Like I would uh, No, just, I'll get to that. I'll okay, get to okay. that. So what I did was I, I put the shirt on the ground, I put the screen on top of the shirt. Then using the duct tape, I block off the parts that I don't want painted. Although kind of stupid because I could have just done that on the shirt itself. That's what I'm thinking. What was the I don't know. I was figuring it out screen. as I went. Did you do this at Cassie's house? I did it. I did it up at Fort Lewis <laughs> during one of those uh, soccer games. Did you stain some of the grass? I can't remember. Probably. But so, yeah, a blank T-shirt, a freaking window screen, some spray paint and duct tape. And I make some like basic design. I don't know, a Z or something. And I was like, okay. Like I, I understand, I guess, the premise of how this is supposed to go. Maybe I'll try to look into it a little bit more. Yeah. Were you satisfied with the end result? <laughs> like, were you like, okay. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I was proud of myself that I had taken a step. I'm not going to call it accomplished anything. I had just taken a step. It was absolute garbage of a step. Right. But anyways, so I, I look at this T-shirt that looks like trash. And I think to myself, okay, I, I've got this down. I can figure this out. So I go online and I find a, a like a beginner screen printing kit, basically, which is an actual silk screen with the real paint you're supposed to use. Um, so those things come to the house a week later. Okay. But I still haven't figured out how to do the designs. That's a whole nother process, which I eventually taught myself and learned once we started cranking out massive orders of like a couple hundred shirts at a time, a thousand shirts at a time. We eventually built up to that, or I did it in this little basement with the help of one or two people. But I'm still in the earlier stages figuring this out. So I now have this screen with my little like squeegee to drag the paint across the screen. I have the proper paint, but I don't have a way to create a design. That requires usually transparencies that you print on, which is a special printer. And then you need emulsion fluid. So it emulsifies like the ink so that you can burn that ink into the screen. It's this whole crazy thing. So that way, when you do put paint in your screen and you squeegee it across, only the design will come through. That emulsion fluid like blocks the holes in the screen so no paint can come through. So I'm learning that on YouTube and I'm thinking, well, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have that fluid or the type of like machines yet for that stuff. So what if I just print out my design on a piece of paper, take an X-Acto knife, 
and cut out my design and then tape that piece of paper to the screen. So that's literally what I did. So I printed out a piece of paper that said Young Life. I cut out the letters, taped it to the screen, put the paint on, squeegeed it across, and sure enough, it said Young Life right on the shirt. And it worked almost perfectly. It looked okay? Yeah, it looked great. (laughs) I mean, nobody would have been able to tell the difference. Now, that ink didn't necessarily cure properly, and it's not going to – like, you can't replicate that on hundreds or thousands of shirts. Did you do this with the Kool-Aid shirts? No, no, no. The Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid shirts I, okay. I had a real I process for, although it wasn't fully that. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I figure this out, that I can print something on paper, use an X-Acto knife, make whatever design I want, <laughs> and then start printing things. So I, I've always been a far better salesperson than anything else. So at this point – I was a better salesperson than business owner and for sure a better salesperson than screen printer. So I started hitting up everybody I knew. I was sprinting before I could even crawl. And I start getting orders. And I remember the first one was from a friend of mine who had a band. This girl, Katie Patrikas. Band was called Deer Creek. And oh, yeah, she's she, great. Yeah, she hit me up for, I think, 100 shirts oh, to make so gosh. they could sell at her shows. And she asked me for you know, the color of shirt. And then she asked me for a special type of, uh, a certain color of ink for her logo. But I didn't have any money because I hadn't had any orders yet. All I had was brown. So I basically just sold her on how brown was going to look good as the option. And she said, okay. On what color shirt? It was light blue. So it did kind of complement each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, she had asked for something else. So now I'm printing a brown logo (laughs) on these light color, light blue color shirts. And I, I make all 100. And I'm pretty dang impressed with myself. How long did that take you? Oh, I mean, hours. I mean, it would take me a couple hours to cut the logo with an X-Acto knife, especially because it was an owl that said Deer Creek underneath. I had to cut out the lettering. But then what happened, for example, with like an E, like a lowercase E, I'd have to cut it out. And then there's the like the hole yeah, at the top yeah. of the E. So I would have to cut out all these letters and then put these microscopic pieces of paper in the right spot on the screen so that it wouldn't look... Like it would look like an E when I printed over it. You know what I'm saying? You have so much patience. Were you ever just like, screw this? Oh my God. Every day. <laughs> Every day. So, and I and I said, screw this as it just grew. So it continued to grow because I would just get order after order after order. Okay, time out. But what happened yeah. with Katie Petrinkus's order? As far as I know, everything went well. But she's super nice. And I don't think she would have hit me up to complain had they turned out like crap. I know they turned out great. What I don't know is how they looked after the first wash. Mm. Yeah. But they, they looked great for sure when I sent them out. All right. So that Katie, was my first order. Let us know. Yeah. That was my first order with like the DIY screen printing set. So I do a few more of those. And I've, I'm probably racking in a couple grand from these, these orders uh, in the beginning. And I use that money to start buying some actual equipment. So I, I couldn't afford a screen printing press which is like a full-blown machine where you lift the screen, lower the screen onto the shirt, pull the ink, and then you can have multiple colors. And that's those are thousands and thousands of dollars. But I find on YouTube uh, a set of plans to build a wooden one yourself. So I go to Home Depot, buy $150 worth of stuff, hinges, screws, wood, springs, whatever. And then I go use a buddy's garage that had some tools, and I built, he helped me. We built this screen printing press. It was a four color screen printing press. Actually, I think I have a photo somewhere. I'll throw that photo. I've on. never seen that. 
Okay, yeah, I'll throw the photo. I think I still have it. I'll throw the photo on Instagram. But yeah, I just built this four color screen printing thing, screen printing press out of wood. And it was still super janky, but it got the job done. And I could do up to like a thousand shirts, you know, orders, no problem. So next was getting into the emulsion fluid. That's difficult because you have to print out the design on the transparencies. And then you take your screen and you cover it with this emulsion fluid, put your transparency on top, then put like a 500 watt or some crazy powered light above or below it. So it burns like the black ink on the transparency burns through into the screen. So that way, once you're done burning that into the screen, you take a pressure washer. I might be going way too deep into this. You take a pressure washer and that, that plows out everything except for what was burned onto the screen. Oh my god! Yes, now you have the actual empty holes of the screen and that's where the ink is gonna flow through. And that emulsion fluid has like turned into rock hard um, consistency at that point and uh, and won't let any ink through. So that's how you make shirts basically. Holy cow. Yeah, so I started doing that, but then I realized I needed uh, like to, a different type of ink that was gonna be more industrial for these shirts. And so that was another major mistake that I made, which was, I, I remember printing my first batch of like 250 shirts for this local CrossFit gym. And I was so <laughs> pumped. I worked through the night cause I had another job and was going to college. So I remember getting off my coffee shop job at 10 PM, going into this little basement that I was borrowing from somebody, worked until the sun came up and then at 9 AM drove the shirts over. And the owner was so ecstatic. But then I got a text like two hours later from him. It was a photo of a baby with ink on its face because this parent had bought one of the shirts, then held their baby and the ink rubbed off, rubbed oh off on the face. Oh my gosh, I would face. have been so pissed. So I, I hadn't learned how to properly cure the ink. So that was a whole other process. So I ended up just well, like acquiring more machines. Well, could they not get machines. the ink off the kid either? Huh? Wasn't it hard to get the it's ink still off there. the kid? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was probably super difficult. But um, yes, yeah, so I just ended up buying more and more equipment. So then I asked my cousin Connor, who was going to school in Santa Barbara, and he was, you know, super well connected there, had tons of friends. And I said, you hit up all these frats and sororities. Oh, yeah. And let's just crank these out. So we did. So we started making shirts like a hundred, couple hundred at a time for some of the biggest like frats and sororities, fraternities and sororities at UCSB. But you're making them in Durango. I'm making them myself in this basement. He's just a sales guy. Okay. Yeah. And we had a good system going and we were cranking it out. So my first year doing that, we generated $50,000 in revenue, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, from that. So then Connor is surfer. He's got more of a marketing mind and he thought, well, why don't we just create our own brand? We have access to make all these shirts. I have, you know, I can walk them into surf shops and see if we can get them in on consignment. So we create Savage Apparel and then I start cranking out all those early shirts. He walks into some surf shops, they say yes, and then they start selling. And so we kind of had a little thing go and started getting excited. So then I started flying out to California all the time. And him and I, at one point, we spent a month together just traveling down the coast from like Santa Barbara to San Diego, hitting stores. So I would go in and do my door-to-door pitch and pitch them on either buying a bunch of shirts from us or taking a bunch on consignment. So we ended up getting into over 60 different locations I helped out with a good bit of those. Connor really did a lot of the work, just actually living out there in California. And he was calling these stores and he was following up with the stores and going in and reordering. 
And he was also coming up with creative ideas to get into other stores. So we started doing like tourist type of shirts and he would go into tourism shops that were selling, um, you know, like little trinkets or whatever and travel gifts. And so we started getting into all those stores. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun and we were just growing. And all the while you're still making them in your basement? No. So I was all the while I was making some of them in the basement that used a traditional screen printing process. So I'm making some Savage Apparel shirts while cranking out actual orders for organizations. So I started hitting up other Young Life groups, churches, companies, whomever I could you know, find and was cranking all those out. Savage Apparel had these fun um, photos printed on them of like skaters or surfers. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want that like crappy feel when you touch a shirt where it feels all plasticky if it's a photo on there. Yeah. You know, so you have to use a, a machine called direct-to-garment DTG, which is just, you know, some crazy high-tech stuff that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars for one of those machines. So we started outsourcing everything to some other people. I would just make the basic stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So much. <laughs> but. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. No, you go. Well, you had asked about the turkey guys. Yeah. There's, there's so much in this. It'd almost be cool to interview both you and Connor, too. <laughs> we should. That'd be fun. Yeah. But yeah, so the turkey guys. And the trade shows. Okay, yeah. So I guess, I mean, that's all just super fascinating, like the evolution of it. Yeah. Because, well, eventually, like, I think that's a very competitive field. And I think you guys realize that. Probably before even going into it, you were like, this is going to be really difficult. But, and then... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get at that it failed, but not yeah. saying it failed. <laughs> so it ultimately did peter out, I would say, for a couple of different reasons, like biggest life lessons. For one, I was at a spot since I was making everything and had these machines that I had half built or purchased in someone else's basement they were letting me use as my full-blown printing facility. You know, I came to this crossroads of, all right, invest into some serious equipment so I can start doing this at scale or, or, and then is that worth it or, or not, or outsource the printing. Yeah. And for me, it just wasn't worth it. You know, I, I had a different job. I was starting the job of base makers with those monthly trips, yeah. which is the company that, yeah, I was that, that sales startup that I'm, I was the president of. Um, before we had launching this consulting married. business, we had just got married, was going to school, still had the coffee shop job, was making these at night. It was just like insane. And I thought, this sucks. Like I'm literally getting off my coffee shop job at 10 p.m. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes going back and printing shirts into the morning and then going straight to class. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that a few times, but so it was either really inconvenient or just pretty inconvenient. Maybe, you know, that was really inconvenient or there were other inconvenient times where I would, you know, I'd go there at three or four in the morning to start. And I wasn't, there weren't, a t- there wasn't a lot of profit in it, you know? So I, I hadn't done a good job of like managing the business aspect and keeping an eye on the margins and having healthy enough margins to like properly operate a business and ensure scalability for down the road. So cash flow was tough. And I was just thinking, dude, I'm killing myself trying to make these freaking shirts. Like, This isn't worth it for the amount of money that I'm getting. I don't know if I even want to bother investing into all the equipment needed to take this to the next level. Like, let's look to outsource. So that was kind of the first like forfeit move 
And we did find somebody to outsource all the printing to, and she could actually do it for cheaper than, than I could myself. So we started outsourcing the printing. And then the next sort of part that petered out was just the online marketing and getting into e-commerce. You know, Connor and I had a firm grasp on brick and mortar. We could get our shirts into any store and they were selling. Connor was fulfilling orders and just, that was his job for a while, just running shirts to stores to re- re- refill. And where we, what we lacked was the knowledge and ability to, to run an e-commerce business, mm. which is really what you would need, you know, because more and more brick and mortar shops were closing yeah. during that time. And we didn't have the ability to run e-com or do it well, or, you know, digital marketing, none of that stuff. So we, and I guess it wasn't worth it for us to try to really nail it. Now, I don't, I don't think we had really solidified the branding. You know, we were just like two enthusiastic kids trying to push some shirts, but we hadn't really nailed down like our positioning in the market, how we were different from other people. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like you guys are different viewpoints as well too like you were more into the skating connor was more into the surfing and like i feel like that's difficult how do we mesh this into a like lifestyle brand yeah and then that's just a crazy competitive field anyway right yeah so there are so many on top yeah. Of it, yeah so that's the thing is we hadn't we hadn't done research to say right, what what what's like a need or a gap that we can fulfill and bring mm-hmm. to the market instead it was what do we like let's start a business around that yeah which isn't the, always the correct way to do it. But I guess quick story, though, about relating to my, my Turkish buddies. Yeah, so are. tell us, because I, I think seeing you guys, I only went to a few. Um, I can only think of one, actually, that I went to. Maybe I just went to one, but a trade show in Manhattan Beach. And, you know, it was, like, super hot. And I remember just wanting to, like, sit under the tent and, like, <laughs> chill. And you guys were both just like up, like straightening the shirts. And yeah. I don't know, it was very like interesting because all of the other vendors were just sitting on their asses, not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So we, we, uh, one of the ways that we were spreading the word was um, uh, of the brand was through these trade shows or street fairs. And I, I didn't live out in California. I was planning to move until you and I fell in love, of course. But yes. So Connor I was cranking these things out. <laughs> yeah. Connor was cranking out these trade shows left and right. I mean, so dedicated, putting so much effort into it. And I think that's really what kept this thing afloat for the longest time. But I, I participated in maybe four plus a giant trade show that we did in Vegas uh, for for clothing and apparel. But what we would do is I would I would try to pull what I had learned from those guys in the Grand Bazaar, which I talked about last Wednesday, about how these guys just captivated you know the passersby in their attention and, and got people to come in and buy these scarves. And so everybody at these street fairs, these trade shows, no, that wasn't a trade show. Let, let's get to the street fair. Everybody at these street fairs, the vendors sitting in a chair under their umbrella with a fan blowing on them, just reading. It was very sleepy. It's so sleepy, but that's how so many of them are. Yeah. And they're just, they're just sitting there hoping somebody walks into their booth and then comes up with a credit card ready to swipe. Like that's not, sales by any means and they were hurting and i know they were hurting because this was like one of the most fulfilling things ever but we would we would take breaks to go stretch our legs every now and then so i remember going on a walk and i walked down all the way to the other side of the street fair just tense and tense and tense lined up with all these different vendors and i'm just chatting it up with some ladies that are selling some jewelry and i said hey how's the show going for you guys 
And she said, this is one of the worst years ever. Just ever since 2008, 2009, the economic crash, these things have been getting worse and worse. You know, my partner and I have been doing these street fairs for like a decade. And this is just pitiful. We've hardly sold anything. And I said, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. It looks like you've got some really great stuff, whatever, and just kept it going. And she said, but word on the street is these two young kids are just slaying it. She didn't say slaying it, but she said word on the street is these two young kids are doing really well just selling their shirts like hotcakes down at the end of the fair. So I guess some people are doing well, and that was us. And so I think the reason why we were (laughs) slaying it, in my opinion, was we we did a couple things. One, we asked as many people that we knew to come by as possible so that we could have like a fake crowd. Yeah. The whole point was a fake crowd because we knew that if people are just walking through, they're not going to care. But if you're walking down like a long row of tents and you see some people crowded around one in particular, you're going to walk to it. Yeah. See, what is this all about? Yeah. So we had sort of a fake crowd going at almost any point. And when people would come to chat, even if it wasn't somebody that we knew, we would do whatever it took to keep them there. Just ask them about their life. Where are they from? What they were doing that day, their family, et cetera, travel plans, you know, whatever we could do to keep them there so that it always looked like people were at our booth. That was huge. The next thing was when there was nobody at the booth, we would never sit behind and just hang out. We would both get in front of the booth and refold all the shirts. They would be perfect, but we would take them all down and just refold. So it looked like we were active. And then sometimes people would think we were maybe shoppers. Hmm. So it looked like we were taking a look at this booth and seeing what was going on. Then they would come over and then we would have a conversation with them. So... Yeah, because I vividly remember asking you, like, why do you keep getting up and folding them? And you're like, it draws the people in. <laughs> but I had never thought of that before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we the had to get a crowd. Guys, look at them. Yeah, it's funny because I saw this quote on Instagram the other day that I felt was so act- accurate, which was, people won't support you until they think it's cool to support you. Hmm. And I think, in a lot of senses, that's. That's pretty true. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know, that people won't root always for the underdog right off the bat. But as soon as people see that uh, something is gaining momentum, all of a sudden, oh, it's cool. Like, I want to come support you and see what's going on. But when it, like, wasn't cool in the beginning, nobody would care. So I think putting that uh, that crowd around us sent the message to other people, there's, there's something cool. Other people are supporting us, and it's cool for you to do the same. Yeah. Oh my God, when it rained, it poured. Like if we would just have somebody pull out their credit card, I'd want to sometimes keep their credit card out, like holding it and drag on the conversation so that other customers could see this person had given me their credit card and was paying. It's such a visual thing. Yeah. It sounds very like, much. Well, like, it's like people flocking. Yeah. You guys are up and active. Well, also, you know, like I'm uh, trying to get some new running shoes for the birthday. Oh my god. For gosh. the birthday. But I saw on the Hoka's website that when when I found the pair of shoes I was interested in, it said 211 people have bought this pair of shoes today. Oh yeah, it's like when you're looking at Airbnbs or hotels. It's yeah. like this many people are interested. It's the same premise. Yeah. So that's when when someone would hand me their credit card, I would kind of wave it around, extend the conversation, I wouldn't swipe it right away. I wanted other people to see, hey, this person's buying. It's 100%. it's a green light for you to buy it too. You know, I was actually on a website, I think it was for baby clothes, and it said, um, 
it says someone from Milwaukee just bought this item and it would pop up every time someone that's really it. cool yeah but it was really very cool. specific yeah like someone from Chicago someone from Santa Fe whatever see we so, didn't even that, that stuff didn't even exist in 2013 we're yeah. pioneers man I somebody know, yeah. came to our street fair saw what we were doing then became a millionaire making software of it. There you go. So you're welcome, wow. whoever that was. But um, <laughs> anyways, good stuff. Very Savage good Apparel stuff. is dead, but Connor did an amazing job building yeah, it up to what really it became. Did. And we still wear their shirts or his shirts constantly. Your guys' shirts. I'm literally wearing one right now. Did not even is. plan on that. It's the original with the teal circle in the mountains. Oh, yeah. Also, Savage, because Connor's last name is Davage. Yeah, my cousin's last name is Savage. Savage. Isn't that crazy? But they spell it S-A-V-I-D-G-E because it's a combination. Can you buy any of them anymore? No, I don't think so. But if you want one, hit me up. You can probably find something somewhere for you. I mean, we have millions of them. I'm sure Connor does too. (laughs) Let us us know. Awesome. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, guys, that wraps it up. Appreciate you listening. Yes. If you're looking for more content on persuasive communication or you want to learn more about these wild, crazy stories, catch me on Instagram. It's at it's Jake Savage. And then three things here for us to close out. Thing number one, been plugging this in more at the end of each episode. Alexa and I are super passionate about fighting human trafficking, particularly sex trafficking. And if you're somebody that has heard about this stuff and wants to get involved but don't know how, I don't want you to suffer from paralysis by analysis. There are so many different places to give or ways to get involved that you never take the first step. So you can just go to persuasionschoolpodcast.com. Then under the section that says Jake's Fight, there's a donate button. All of that money gets passed through to organizations. Obviously, don't keep any of it. It's just a, a way to sort of streamline the giving, make it easy for you to take a first step, and we pass it on to others. Also, you can buy the shirt I'm wearing in the cover art. It says, trust me, I'm a salesman. I have trust me, I'm a saleswoman available. The profits from those shirts also go towards the same mission. That's number one. Number two, we've got a survey live on the website. Mm-hmm. I know you love taking them surveys. So this I one do. is 60 seconds, 10 questions, super easy. Only point, we want to get to know you and figure out how to make this show even better. Yeah. Yep. Know what you like, what you dislike about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Let Thank us you. know. So first one is trafficking. You can donate if you wish. Second one is survey. Third, ratings and reviews. Man, this is a big deal. We have people actually getting the things that they want because of something they tried on this podcast. I mean, obviously, they deserve it. They're probably hardworking individuals. But people reaching out to me saying they got a raise. They negotiated a higher salary. They got a job or they're, they're getting more sales or whatever it is, or it's just working in their everyday communication with people. We want that to, we want to amplify that and help more people around the world get the things that they want. In order for that to happen, we need some more ratings and reviews. That just helps uh, get us some more traction, helps the algorithm boost us to the top and recommend the show to other people. So if you feel like Persuasion School has given you four or maybe even five stars worth of value. Since you started listening, you can just tap that stars on Apple Podcast. Tap the fifth one on the far right. Or if you're willing, you could write us a quick review saying how this has impacted you. And that would be fantastic and greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. Other than that, thank you guys. Thank you all. Have we'll, a fantastic we'll go back to the beach day. now. We'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> Adios. Bye.